Welcome back to the Wide Angle Podcast. My name is Mark Steiner, your host, and today we have a guest that's previously been on, my dear friend Jackson Hayes, and we're going to be covering two topics, cinema cameras that are coming out or just video-centric cameras that are coming out in the near future and Apple switching to ARM chips and what that entails. All righty, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited. So we got off on a bit of a tangent about 20 minutes ago uh, talking about the new cameras that are going to be announced and that we're excited for. Jackson, what are you excited for? So I just finished watching uh, this review by Spencer Sakurai uh, about the Zcam E2F6, I think the name is, but it's a full frame yeah. 6K yeah, yeah. camera. It looks gorgeous. It's smaller than the Pocket 4K. Like, it's legitimately a Pocket Cinema it's camera. It's smaller than the Pocket 4K. Yeah, like, 4K. it's legitimately a Pocket Cinema camera. It's only slightly bigger than the original I didn't realize it was 4K. that small. Yeah, it's super small. Huh. And so, like, I just want it because it's so tight. Like, it fits literally, like, in one hand. Like, it's that small. But the thing is, you still have to rig it out, though. So, that, like, that, that Yeah, obviously, size... you still have to rig it out. But, but I'm saying the body itself is so small that if you want to, like, just have a super small rig, you can. Mm -hmm. It runs off LPE6 or... Uh, the Sony, are they LP? No, that's 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 LP Canon. That's that's Canon. Canon. What, what's the Sony? Uh, the, NPF. Uh, NPF. Yeah, it runs off NPF batteries, which is pretty cool, and uh, it's just it's just so cool. What I like about it: fifteen stops of dynamic range, six K full frame. It just looks amazing, and so mm. I'm trying. I've been trying to pivot my YouTube channel to be more filmmaker focused and stuff like that, and so mm -hmm. I'm hoping at some point to be able to reach out to them and try to get. Uh, a review unit or something like that but that camera looks amazing that camera does look really really good and i watched that same review and we started talking about that but my one caveat with that camera is that z raw is not raw raw you know like it's not in my opinion that's the the only weak point of it but at the same time I thought this camera was going to be selling for like five to six thousand dollars, and I saw it, it's like thirty five hundred dollars, and I was like, "Oh my god!" For thirty five hundred dollars, you're getting a a, a cinema yeah. I camera. mean, it is amazing. So here's the thing: it is raw. Like the the definition of raw is just like a file format that's able to change like a set number of settings, which include like exposure or like mm -hmm. the ISO that it's shot at, the uh, color temperature, stuff like that, and so. Mm -hmm. It is still raw. It's just not supported by different like uh, programs. So, for example, B-RAW is raw, but you can't edit it in Final Cut because it's not supported in Final Cut. But it's still raw, if that makes sense. And so, for me, the fact that you can't shoot in raw isn't as big of a deal. Now, I do like shooting or editing and sh shooting and editing in B-RAW because um, the hardware acceleration in Resolve is so good that I can just edit it just fine. Whereas if I try to bring the mm -hmm. ProRes footage into final cut it really bogs down because it's mm -hmm. just so massive if, really? if i do the prores hq like the super high quality stuff or no not hq is it what four four two two or four, whatever four, two, it is two, the, the, four, the four, highest four. one i have on the pi yeah. 4k so i really am tempted by this camera even though i do not need it uh can't afford it that sort of thing um but you know from a, from a like a workflow perspective it's still way better than pocket 4k a lot of very very big uh you know commercials that you know have full crews and stuff, they'll still shoot ProRes even on cameras that are raw capable like the Ari Alexa. So it's kind of the same thing and it's 15 stops of dynamic range, which is very, very close, if not exactly what the Alexa shoots already. Maybe 16 on the Alexa, but still it's it's very, very good. Yeah, so it's, it's, I it's think good. I think it's 16 on the Alexa, but yeah. But also that even though that that spec is a, is a, just a spec, True. you know. Like I found that cameras that advertise, you know, fifteen stops of dynamic range. It's one or two stops less. Yeah, it's one or two stops less. But also, like 
the highlight roll off, the color science behind that also goes into that. And even though it's like, yes, technically in ideal conditions with this and this setting, you can get 15 stops of dynamic range in our proprietary app like that. It Like it works, but you know, sometimes a, a camera with like 12 stops of, of dynamic range looks much better and looks like there's actually more dynamic range. So it's, it's that real world use that I think is far more important than those specs because I've noticed that with some cameras, they love to advertise that spec and it's like no that's not necessarily true right. but you're 100% correct so I like recently we've been talking about cameras and I have been debating about three cameras that are coming out in the not so distant future and those would be the don't say the a7s3 the a7s3 slash a7 we don't know what's coming out but in a couple of weeks <laughs> sony should be announcing one or two of those cameras and the s3 is not happening it's i not happening i really want to think that it is and if it isn't at least they will rebrand one of the other ones to be at least more video focused you know like I, they have to have a competitor to the next camera i'm going to be talking about which is the canon eos r5 and although i'm still mildly skeptical about this camera canon is mm. really like you know entering the ring with punches flying because they're like we've been so far they're behind. very confident they're very confident and everyone like when that initial spec came out they're like all right this is a lie canon's lying we don't believe you it's like the boy who cried wolf you know like it's you've, right. you've teased so much for so long and you've been a letdown every time i remember it was like what the m6 came out and they're like oh it's a 4k vlogging camera but when you're in 4k <laughs> there's like a two times crop you lose autofocus and nothing works and it's like no no one's using that 4k so stop saying it's a 4k camera so I, I expected the right. same thing with like this 8K spec that it was, oh, it's like going to be like an 8K time lapse mode or something. I'm like, that's lame, right? But they kept coming yeah. out. It's like, no, 8K raw with autofocus, no crop. And I was like, oh, that that is crazy. that sounds crazy. And like they had all these specs that just sound too good to be true. But Canon's like, no, they're real. It's, it's legit. And I'm like, all right, let's say there is no cripple hammer. Let's say there's no asterisk next to any of these specs. This is shaping up to be one of the greatest cameras of all time. Yeah. And if they get the pricing right, which should be between 3000 or 4000 US dollars, this would beat out a lot of the competition. And I think Sony needs to recognize that their throne is being <laughs> jeopardized right mm -hmm. now by this camera. Because Canon has held the throne for so long with their DSLRs. And then Sony kind of took it with their mirrorless lineup and everyone switched and everyone started making fun of Canon because they were lacking innovation. Like even Nikon was innovating more than Canon. Right. But now with these second gen mirrorless cameras, Canon's like, all right, we saw what the competition was doing. We understand that we were behind right. and we're just going to leapfrog everyone. And yeah. I was like, Ooh, oh, this is, this is a dangerous game. But the end consumer wins because competition means better products for us all and usually cheaper prices because they need to be competitive. Right. Um, but the third camera that I've had my eye on for a while and is yet to be released or even officially announced is the Red Komodo. And I don't know if you mm. know about this camera. I don't think the Red's the way to go. You don't think so? Uh, red is Red is trying to, you know, bring or try trying to attack the high end of the con not consumer, I guess, so like prosumer market but the problem is it's still red meaning you still have to buy those expensive accessories well that's the thing that's the thing with the red komodo is that is for different? the first time ever it's not a dsm c2 body it's it's competing more with like the ecam that we were just talking about um really? yeah because this thing is going to be using canon lp batteries 
Oh, it's going to be using CFast instead of Red Mags, and it's going to have autofocus for the first time on a Red. Right, I saw camera. the autofocus thing. For me personally, I just kind of wrote it off because I was like, "Oh, it's Red trying to do something," but like it's still their their proprietary stuff. But yeah. I didn't see all that other stuff, so that's that's interesting. I think I haven't really played around with like Red's color science at all or any like raw files so i don't know how good it is i've you know i've heard that generally speaking the the market doesn't really enjoy red especially at the high-end production things because mm. they're harder to rely on um mm-hmm. that said i think guardians of the galaxy was shot on red um mm-hmm. you know big movies are shot on red so it's, it's not like a bad option at all so you know if they're able to bring it down to where it's like you don't have to buy all their crazy proprietary stuff that costs like half a baby then like you know that's it's, the, yeah it's exactly an so to build this one out like the the monitor they're suggesting is like the the small hd and i'm like yo that's oh, really? that's yeah like most people already oh, wow. have that and i'm right. like all right there's going to be a built-in screen and the app that accompanies it practically is a monitor so you can hmm. use your phone if you're on a super big budget i mean super small budget and it's really interesting to see how they're becoming more consumer friendly with this model and i'm very intrigued the starting price is going to be six thousand dollars right um and it's going to have a canon rf mount so that's weird. even though that's i pers- really really weird I, why do you say that? Because it's RF. It's like Canon's, you know, I mean, like obviously Canon is very serious about their mirrorless thing, but like the lenses they have available are just so expensive. And so like the fact that they're like, here's RF, it's like, well, we don't really have adapters for that's, it. That's the thing though. So I was, all, I too was also very surprised by that, but I can understand where they're coming from. And the thing that I'm thinking about is like, no one's actually going to be putting RF glass, glass on this anytime soon because like you said like every lens that they have is like $2,500 or more that's ridiculous um but they have the RF to EF adapter with the built-in ND filter and because this is a budget cam it doesn't have ND filters in it so if you attach an old EF lens which many cinematographers have and then you have that ND filter I the Canon makes their own attachment. Adapter. I know. That right, would right. be very oh, that intriguing. Because then you have a budget cinema camera with ND filters at the yeah. price point that not many other cameras have. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, so I'm very intrigued by that. You know, it's going to be a Super 35 6K with autofocus and, you know, like more compatibility with normal stuff that normal people have. And... Like, even when you build it out, it goes from, like, 6000 to probably, like, $7,500, $800, depending on what lens you choose to put in front of it or and what uh, CF Express cards you put in it. So, you know, relatively affordable for a cinema camera, but, um, and, you know, it's, it's crazy to say, like, relatively affordable $10,000, but <laughs> it's just, like, when you're in that market, it, it's a good deal, but I'm just... I, I'm not going to like obviously buy anything until all the specs and real world tests have been done. And I, I'm leaning not towards that because even though it is a budget cinema camera, I don't need it. And it's a little bit out of my budget. And this is one of the things I was thinking about as well that you just mentioned is like, how often am I actually going to be shooting raw? Right. Because that, that's a ridiculous amount of file space. You know, like I'm already getting tired when I made the switch from 4K, 1080 to 4K with my Sony camera. It My videos went from like final product one gigabyte to like final product six gigabytes and like the footage behind that would go like from like three gigabytes to like 20 gigabytes and it's like oh it fills up a lot faster and that's not raw that's sony's crappy codec it is massive yeah i just said that's huge and siri went off (laughs) (laughs) even though i have it on don't disturb so i don't well i don't i don't get how that works so those are those are the three cameras i'm considering um obviously the red is more like this this aloof 
camera that everyone right. wants. You know, like we all aspire to yeah. have a kick-ass cinema I don't camera. think you would like the red. I don't think you'd like you the red. You don't think so? Because... You're a photographer. Well, okay. See, that's the thing. It's like, so, I want to get into more video and I love... Are you just going to start shooting raw stills? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was 180 like, shutter. I, I want to have a dedicated video camera and a dedicated photo camera. Like this year, I've only done a couple of photo shoots. Everything else has been video centric. Hmm. And I'm really preferring video at this time because one, there's more money in it. Two, I'm enjoying it more. And three, it's just like... Yeah. I love video, you know, like it's, I just enjoy it yeah. and having a dedicated video camera. That's why like, no matter what I'm, I want a, the, my next camera to be a dedicated video camera. So my dad was talking to my dad about this and he was like, wait, if the next gen camera you want on the Sony side, is only 15 megapixels. Why are you getting that? I'm like, no, 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 no. For video, I don't care about megapixels, you know, like as long as it shoots 4k, it can be 12 megapixels, but if yeah, it's good 4k, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. There, there are some very, very exciting cameras coming out. And it feels like right right now, at this moment, the Z Cam is the new Pocket 4K mm -hmm. that kind of took everyone by storm, except it's not as, like, blowing up because it's $3,000 versus $1,000. Um, but, yeah, it is a mm -hmm. very interesting time right now. Well, it's also from a relatively unknown company as well. With Blackmagic, they had, like, the Ursa Mini. Like, they had their dedicated cinema cameras. Blackmagic is just a more well-known company. You know, they've, they've had cinema cameras. They've had editing software. They've been around... Zcam is the new kid on the block. And I think there are a couple other uh, companies doing these like budget cinema cameras in a box type thing. You know, like the box style is a relatively new thing, but it's more affordable. And that's why I think Red is trying to compete with the Red Komodo because it's a box style thing as well. It's like six inches by six inches. And well, I mean, most cinema, most cinema cameras are box or rectangular. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even at the highest end. That's very true. And then they build them out. But like when I'm thinking of like more budget friendly ones, I'm thinking of like the Canon C200. You know, it's like, yes, it's a box. Sure. But it, sure. it has more of a form to it. Um, but these sure. are literally yeah. like. I do not like the shape of the C200. It's really? so ugly. Why not? It, it just feels so like, I don't know. I don't like how curved the edges are. I like it being more of like a box Interesting. or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's just always rubbed me the wrong way. Even though like I've used it, it's great. It's lovely. But uh, what are the specs you look for when you're buying a video camera? It's been a while since I actually like looked for a camera, though. That's the thing. Um, for me, like I want to be able to shoot, well, like obviously like a, like a log profile, if not mm -hmm. like a raw raw codec. Mm -hmm. um, even though you know, if it's something only shot ProRes, but it had the specs to back it up, I probably wouldn't necessarily mind as long mm -hmm. as you know I, you pay attention to exposing properly. Um, definitely 4K. And yeah. the 1080p is way out the window now. Yeah. Um, I would not buy a Micro Four Thirds camera again, and I yeah. know Magic Tomaso would kill me for saying that, but <laughs> I just I just don't like it. Um, mm. Just the the depth of field that that's available on a Micro Four Thirds is just nothing, mm -hmm. and so I, I just need something a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, through Super Thirty Five or bigger. At this point, I probably wouldn't go for a Super Thirty Five upgrade from the Pocket Four K. I'd probably mm -hmm. go full frame, just okay. because. I don't know. Super 35 is getting boring and yeah. full frame is nice. Um, the downside of doing full frame is, you know, Super shallow the glass is more more expensive. That too. Well, that too. But, you know, glass is more expensive. So I don't know. I don't really know exactly what I'd look for in a video camera. But I think for me, what I'm weighing is like... The 6 looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I was saying is like, for me, 
like I would love to have raw like in dream camera it'd be kick-ass right but that's not feasible right now and honestly like even if it did have it I probably wouldn't use it because space and cards and all that like it just doesn't make sense for the stuff that I'm shooting even though it would be nice but like realistically I want at least 422 I want at least 10 bit and I want kick-ass autofocus with good dynamic range like that's more or less all I'm looking for in a video camera and like decent low light but like I don't super care about that I could care less about autofocus. I know because you're a proper filmmaker, and I'm. <laughs> well, less well, no, of a well, no, no, filmmaker. no. Like, I mean, I understand. I understand autofocus. Like, I don't know why Spencer keeps on keeping autofocus on when he does his A roll. Because mm. I'm like, like he shot a video a little while ago, and it wasn't his fault. Because like mm-hmm. I think just the box was put in the wrong spot, mm-hmm. and it was just the camera just hunting. But still, I was just like, uh, for me, whenever I set up a camera, if it has autofocus on. I automatically just turn it off once I've set focus and I'm so used to that and it lets me not worry about whether or not I've gotten out of focus or if, mm-hmm. or if it hunts and I see it in the monitor then it kind of throws me off like I just want it to be locked in yeah. um, when I'm actually shooting something I don't really like autofocus especially if I'm doing like run and gun stuff because it might mm-hmm. grab onto something wrong and like pull over to that and I just like I want to be able to control it um, and you know once you understand like the lens you're operating you know once you understand the throw then it's not too hard to quickly jump to things so see i'm the i'm the complete opposite <laughs> i really love having autofocus especially for run and gun stuff like i you know i'm a one-man band like i don't have right. someone else operating and yes i know there are a lot of one-man band filmmakers out there who love their manual focus but i love <laughs> autofocus it just makes my life easier every single youtube video i've ever shot okay not every single one but practically every single one has autofocus on especially my talking headshots because the autofocus on sony cameras is just so good so if I'm moving in and out or left to right it's tracking me and because these native sony lenses are so good the uh when when i'm shifting that movement forward and backward the blur is very like that depth of field is pretty cinematic so no one really notices that it's actually like going in and out it's just focusing on me so i really like that um but what was I saying? Like, uh, I was watching an FX9 review. I don't know how familiar you are with that one. But again, like, this is like Sony's budget cinema camera. It's full frame. It's competing more with, like, the Canon C500 Mark II. Really, really good camera. It's something I'm really interested in. And I forget who it was. This British reviewer. I love his stuff, but I forget his name. He was talking about how he's only using autofocus with it, uh, because especially for interviews too, like mm. commercial interviews, because it doesn't mean that he has to do minute adjustments with focus. It just tracks it the, because the face and eye tracking is so good on this camera. And especially like the next gen Sony cameras, like the Mark IV is going to be amazing. And the A9 II, the eye autofocus and face tracking is so good that you can just rely on it. It's never like hunting in and out unless you're like blatantly covering yeah. the face. And when you're in a sit-down interview, you're not blatantly covering the face. So it's perfect for that because you can literally just yeah. push record and be good to go. And I love that. Um, right. So for the work that I want to do, I really like having autofocus. And even though Red is implementing autofocus onto their camera, uh, like obviously they're still in you know the production phase. They're, they haven't put out a final product. They're still improving it and doing software upgrades and whatnot. But... I was initially worried it was going to be something along the lines of like the black magic cameras where it's like technically yes there's there's autofocus but it's absolutely unusable <laughs> like no one considers it having yeah, autofocus it's so bad. because it's yeah. absolute trash but the early specs that yeah. I saw is like oh like okay it's not perfect it's nowhere near Canon's or Sony's 
autofocus and it's not like it's usable but it's not reliable so i probably wouldn't use it but they're like this is just a very first gen this is literally the first test we're doing with the autofocus we're going to keep improving it in the months to come so that when the product actually gets released it's going to be very usable i was like okay okay autofocus in a cinema camera i can dig it so i really i really like having autofocus like i wouldn't really consider buying a camera without it for the stuff that i want to do um but that's that's a big thing for me uh, I think we've talked enough about cameras. I think it's time to get on to the main event, which uh, <laughs> Apple switching to ARM. Yes. And you and I have both had conversations about this in the past, yeah. but this is something that has been talked about in the tech community. Yeah. What feels like the past four years. Like, I feel like that's when the rumors started. It's like, oh, Apple switching to ARM, Apple yeah. switching to ARM. It's going to be 2018 when they do it. It's going to be 2019 when they do it. And they never did it. And I was like, I know it's eventually coming. My guess is somewhere between 2020 and 2022 when they actually do it. And we're now halfway through 2020. WD right. WWDC is right around the corner. And all the rumors point towards them either releasing a first-gen ARM MacBook or announcing that they're coming out with ARM MacBooks in the future, realistically, like mid to late 2021. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. WWDC, no new ARM Mac hardware. They will announce ARM transition. They won't launch anything. They will launch hardware at the event. I'm pretty sure this new iMac's coming. I'm pretty sure they're launching... What else is in the rumor mill? Um, was there new iPads? There was, there was something else besides the, the new iMac, I think. But yeah, I don't think ARM's ready to launch now. There's no way it's ready to launch now. I definitely um, agree with that. Like the rumors that were saying that they might come out with like a, a MacBook Air ARM chip. Uh, I was like, no, yeah. that doesn't seem Well, because like what's like, going to run on it? <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. And yeah. people are, are praising ARM beyond compare. And like somewhat yeah. rightfully so, like, you know, down into the future. Yeah, I think it could be really, really good. But the yeah. downside is ARM chips. That means, you know, Apple has been running off Intel chips for like the, you know, almost two decades now. Right. Yeah. There's a reason why everything works on Intel because it's been built around Intel chips. Like you right. have to re program every single app from the ground up to work on arm chips and that's what a lot of people i don't think are getting this like you literally have to like redo the entire os to work on this chip yeah yeah it's bad and so that's yeah no that's a downside for it for sure but what are you gonna say i think that it, it well it's gonna be a very interesting transition because obviously mac Mac has done this transition before. They went from, mm -hmm. what was it, PowerPC to Intel. And, mm -hmm. you know, that transition worked. Obviously, we're here now. And mm -hmm. um, I was obviously not around when, yep, when neither that, was I. that was the thing. Um, but, you know, Mac doesn't seem to be any worse for wear. Obviously, there's, like, other issues with it. But I think that's more just because Apple's gotten lazy with Mac OS as opposed mm -hmm. to iOS. Um, so, obviously, this transition is going to be slow. It's going to take time. Um, I'm really hoping that this is enough to make Apple feel more comfortable with updating mac os mm -hmm. as regularly and with as much care as they do ios mm -hmm. um i don't think i don't think it's ever going to be the same just because there are less mac users than iphone users therefore they're just naturally going to put more priority on ios because it's their biggest platform mm -hmm. um, but you know i am hoping that it's going to be a new a new like kind of facelift for mac os what do you think a best case scenario is for this transition i think mm -hmm. here they they launch the new they announced the new transition and they say i would guess that they would say that they would have like developer software or like betas for this this arm stuff like later this year like in the fall mm -hmm. maybe early 2021 i'm not sure i mean obviously no one's sure <laughs> yeah. but um and then i'm guessing 
some people are wondering, hey, are they going to write software? Are they going to give developers these like you know developer devices because they did that for the PowerPC transition mm-hmm. to to Intel? They they gave everyone these like or not everyone but developers these mm-hmm. computers that were never sold mm-hmm. and they later had to return them I think but you know they were like Apple devices that ran the new stuff. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're just going to have people run it on their uh, either in emulators, which might be an option, or probably iPads just because they're mm-hmm. already ARM and supposedly the first. Our Mac will be based. The chip will be based on something that's already in the iPad. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are guessing. Like the the first MacBook to get it is going to be like the the MacBook Air. You know, like the the yeah budget friendly, most like popular, not Mac workhorse Air. one. The one that's used for like email and internet browsing. Nothing yeah. crazy. And I think ARM chips would be perfect to start that one off because it's literally like an iPad with a keyboard running Mac OS. You know, right. And but the thing is, like I think with ARM. There was so much hype when the iPad was touted as being the most powerful laptop on the market. And even though it's not a laptop, it's running iPad OS now. Uh, it's it's impressive to see what Apple can do with their own chip when they have 100% power over the entire ecosystem and they're not relying on anyone else. And yeah. I think a perfect scenario, like beautiful future in my mind, is that when Apple transitions to ARM chips on the Mac... That's when iPad OS and iOS, they just all blend into one. Like right now, we have that separation between iOS, iPad OS, and Mac OS, and they all work beautifully with the Apple ecosystem. But I'm really hoping for like one OS across all devices. Like imagine starting editing a project on your MacBook Pro. You get on a plane, you get onto your iPad, you start right back off with no like, oh, this is a mobile friendly version. It's like no, 100% desktop version power in the hand of your iPad. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to listen to some music. You put it you put it onto your iPhone and it does the exact same thing. Obviously, there's going to be a downgrade in, in power because you're on a smaller device now. But having that capability to just go from like Mac OS to iPad OS, but there's no distinction between the two like 100% everything I think that's when we're going to see the iPad become a much more popular device because it's going to have that desktop class performance and the thing is like uh, I remember when they announced Photoshop for iPad and everyone was so hyped they're like oh my god this is the future this is the future yeah and then Photoshop came out and it was absolute garbage and everyone's like what the heck this is nowhere near the desktop grade thing that you promised right but I think it's a step in the right direction you know like Photoshop is going to continuously be building on that so that when this happens it is there is no difference between an iPad version and a desktop version and I think that for me is like the perfect dream scenario in which arm chips work flawlessly okay so personally i don't think that would ever happen because if you think about how long it takes for different third-party developers to actually support mac new mac updates like the the big catalina thing with all the permissions like that took so long for Mm -hmm. apps to finally support it I don't mm-hmm. think that would ever happen to where it's like iPad because the other consideration is obviously you and I, we're young, we have good eyes, we have small fingers, but there are older people mm-hmm. with bigger fingers or <laughs> just people with bigger fingers where tapping a tiny little icon is very, very hard. And so like if you have desktop OS with a very precise pointing device, then you switch over to an iPad and yes, you can have that precise pointing device, but if you think about the cursor on the iPad, it's a big fat circle. I think that's going to be very hard for things that seamlessly transition like that. Obviously, Windows tried to do that a while ago didn't really work out. Obviously, I think Apple would be would have a better chance at getting it to work, but I don't think that would ever happen. Um, Apple keeps saying that they'll never make a touchscreen map, a Mac, but 
at this point, it's like they kind of have with the iPad. And so it's like, yes, maybe they will. But at the same time, it's like, it, I feel like it'd still feel like a Windows computer. And so like, I don't want that feeling. But the thing <laughs> for me is like, like you were saying, it takes time. And I that's, that's the thing, like non-tech people are right. probably not going to notice this stuff. But people who rely on their tech for their job, like you and me, they're, they're going to notice very quickly. And that's why I recommended buying the 2019 MacBook Pro 16-inch because it's still running Intel. It's going to be supported for years to come. Yeah. It's reliable. We know that it works. When they switch over to ARM, I'm guessing there's going to be a bumpy transition period that a lot of professionals are not going to pick up the newest computers because they're not going to support the stuff they need it to. Like If I can't run video editing software on the new arm chips on day one right that's a deal breaker yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting transition i am very excited to see apple's engineers now have unlimited power and unlimited thermals like with mac pros and with imacs obviously not unlimited thermals with imacs and macbook pros but mm-hmm. just so much more overhead as compared to an ipad mm-hmm. or an iphone with no fans no cooling and so what they'll be able to do and like the power that we'll be able to see out of these apple designed arm chips I'm just stoked. Yeah. No, I'm very excited for the future. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they're able to do with it because we've already been seeing the benefits of ARM chips, you know, in our iPhones and our iPads. Like the iPhone and iPad, well, not not necessarily the iPad. The iPhone especially, spec-wise, is always behind the competition. It's like running like half the amount of RAM and yet it usually is right up there in performance or surpassing performance with these devices with like right. 16 gigs of RAM. And you're like, how how is this device with four to six gigs of RAM outperforming these like massive spec phones? And it's like because Apple has 100% control of the ecosystem and they can optimize every single thing to run on right. less. And that's what they've been doing for so long. It's For me, I think the ARM transition is, is a necessary thing. And I think Intel is going to feel the heat for that. But it's it opens up so many capabilities that are not currently available. And I feel like if Apple has complete control, they're going to make better devices that last longer, are more efficient, like you were saying. But I still think that that is going to be you know, two, three years down the road before we get a reliable version that professionals are willing to make the switch to. Right, right. Totally agree. So with the new uh, iMac that's supposedly being rumored for WWDC, what are you expecting? I'm hoping, uh, obviously, they get rid of those bezels because the iMac has been so ugly for so many Dude, years. They've, um, they've, they haven't updated that in like 12 years. It's been the same it's silhouette. Insane. And I'm just like, it's it's 2020, it's man. You can't have three-inch so bezels, ugly. you know? <laughs> Yep. I'm my next computer will probably be an iMac just because like MacBook Pro thermals are terrible. Like the the fans spin up on my MacBook Pro, my 16-inch MacBook Pro with like an i9 and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They spin up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to record like a voiceover into Final Cut and it uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. It was so bad. Like the fans are so loud that I had to literally record it into my camera at the other side of the room because oh my, my fans God. were still spinning even though I stopped recording. And then pull off the audio off of the video it clip. Is so an issue. right now it's fine because it's recording into or to Logic Pro, but still it's just like, oh my gosh. I remember there's this so, one time yeah. I was recording a podcast and I played it back, everything was fine. And while I was editing, my fans had kicked up during the recording and I hadn't noticed. And I was like, oh Ooh. my God, is my, it's like, what is that noise? Like, I'm, I thought my mic right. was maybe like going bad. It was picking up interference or like maybe the self noise was just horrible. And I'm like, no, no, because this part of the recording was absolutely fine. And 30 minutes after recording this, I mean, 30 minutes into this edit, I was like, oh my God, 
my computer fans are just that loud. I was like, oh, jeez, yeah. like I can't, I can't have my computer running while recording anything because those fans just spin yeah. up beyond compare. Yeah. And so that's actually why I switched to Microsoft Edge because I'm, I haven't done like actual tests, but like from like just use, like it doesn't seem to spin up my fans at all, even though it's still based on Chromium. Um, I don't seem to have mm-hmm. any performance issues with like Final Cut running at the same time because I know that happens with Chrome. So I'm liking it. I still, I still might end up just switching to Safari, but I hate Safari's um, YouTube like uh, playback with no 4K as well as their uh, variable speed adjustments sounding mm-hmm. terrible. Like if you play it in a Chromium mm-hmm. browser, whatever algorithm they're using to speed up the audio, it doesn't sound like it's in a little bubble. Mm-hmm. But then if you do it on Safari, mm-hmm. it sounds so bad. And so <laughs> I just can't bring myself to switch to Safari. And so I've been using Edge, but I don't really like using Edge because it's like a Microsoft product. So yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I'm really excited for this new iMac, even though I probably won't get it. But it does mean that like, you know, future iMacs will probably look like it. And so that's that's exciting. And um, I always like seeing new Apple stuff anyway. Exactly. Like we're tech nerds. We love seeing whatever Apple announces or whatever tech comes out, regardless of whether or not we're going to buy it, because that's who we are. But I think for me, like when I bought my 16 inch MacBook Pro, I was having this massive debate is like laptop or desktop. And what do I need for my workflow? And I ended up going with the laptop because I travel a bit and I like having that freedom to be mobile. Um, Right. And a desktop would be awesome. But it doesn't make sense for me right now. And, you know, I'm balling on a budget, so having a desktop and a laptop is not also in the budget yet. Um, totally agree. But it would be really nice to have a desktop alongside it eventually, yeah. especially if they're getting more powerful. Right. And I think that might be an interesting time for you and me to buy an ARM yep. desktop, yep. you know, two, three times, two, three years down the yes. road when they've already ironed out all the kinks and it's running flawlessly, and that would be really interesting. Absolutely, yeah, I definitely, I'm well, not definitely, I probably won't upgrade during this Intel Mac period just because, I don't know, like if, if it's just right around the corner, corner, corner then, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't feel like it's smart to really to buy something new. Um, like if you have to, if you've been running a 2015 Mac or a 2013 Mac, like my, my sister's trying to do YouTube, and the only computer that my mom mm-hmm. has is like a, 20 i think it's a 2013 uh 13-inch MacBook Pro. It's insanely yep. slow. Like it takes yep. maybe 30 seconds to just log in. But she's running After yep. Effects on it and doing animation and I was like, "Oh my, oh my oh gosh, my that God, sounds I terrible." Do that. How, uh, I don't know how yeah. she's doing that, but props to her for trying to start a YouTube channel like this, but yeah, uh, yeah, like if you're there, then yes, I think maybe it does make sense to upgrade if you have the money. But, you know, at this point if you have something that works, like obviously my my MacBook Pro is fine because it's, you know, it was only released a few mm-hmm. months ago. Brand and so, new. yeah, I'll be fine yeah. for a few years. But, um, yeah, I think waiting if you can is just probably the smart option, especially yeah. at least wait to WWDC and just see what happens just because exactly. that's going to really kind of show the future. It's always see. Yeah, it's always good to wait and see and then, you know, buy an older product if need be. And that's why I'm still recommending like the 2016 Intel chips. Uh, it's not that's 2016, 2019, 16 inch Intel chips because you yes. know they're reliable. They're gonna be great. I said 2016. I, I know. Pro. I, I know. Like, like, what? No, 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 no. I keep getting After that what mixed I've up. gone through, dude. You <laughs> had a 2016. I had a 2012. That was a huge mm. upgrade for me. And I don't yeah. know. I just got so accustomed to how slow it was that I thought this was normal. And then I, yeah. I got my ni- uh, 16 inch, and I was like, oh my god, I've been living in the dark ages for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can actually yeah. video edit without lag now. Like this is great. 
Um, yeah. But I think it's it's going to be very interesting this this transition period. Seeing, I I just like you said, it's not reliable. It's untested. You know, like you can't when you're relying on your your hardware like that. You can't make that switch without knowing 100% it's going to work. And you were just talking about the, yep. the Catalina upgrade. I remember when that came out my old 2012 was able to upgrade but i started reading all of these articles about how audio files were just missing and weren't compatible and i was like ah uh, i kind of need audio files for my video editing it's just like not gonna work and they're like yeah it just yeah they just don't work and i'm like okay so i'm gonna hold up on that Yikes. uh upgrade and then like six eight months later they're like yeah everything's fixed now i'm like that was a long wait like that's if you were an audio engineer like that's not Oof. an upgrade that you wanted because you know a couple tech nerds out there are audio people and they upgraded day one because they're like you know i love the new software and then like their entire library was erased and i was like what <laughs> what <laughs> that's not acceptable well. And I was like, that that would scare the crap out of me, you know? And so... Absolutely. And like, that that's unacceptable. So that's why I held off on the upgrade. And then obviously my 16-inch came with OS Catalina installed and everything worked fine. So I wasn't worried about that. It's just stuff like that is like when you're making that transition, you need to be able to rely on your stuff. And even though ARM yep. sounds amazing and will eventually be absolutely amazing in the new standard... It, it is not the time like like you were saying you put out on twitter i think it's like i'm not buying a first gen product yeah it's i think they're gonna have a lot of kinks to iron out i think there are definitely gonna be a few like not scandals but like you know big issues that come up with it but you know apple has done arm processors for a very long time now mm -hmm. so i think i think the having a more streamlined workflow for their or production line for their products will be just beneficial overall yeah 100 percent all right, Jackson, I think we've come to a normal conclusion to this wonderful podcast episode. Where can they find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me um, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Jackson H. Visuals. Same with Instagram. Uh, YouTube is slash Jackson Hayes. Just search my name. I should come up. Um, I am not a basketball player, though, and my name is spelled <laughs> with a CK, not an X. So if you find that guy, uh, go ahead, watch one of his videos, drop a dislike, um, <laughs> and... Uh, then go to my channel, uh, watch a video, and drop a like. Uh, maybe a subscription. Sorry, I'm just salty about this guy. He's a I basketball know. player. I don't know what he what he does. Like what like we have had this I, I do not follow before, sports, but I am so pissed. When I found you, oh, I also found that basketball player, and I had a good laugh. I was yep. like, oh my god, poor Jackson. So. Yeah, yes. be sure to follow Jackson. He's a talented dude, and he's going to be putting out awesome content that you would greatly appreciate. So thank you. Be sure to follow him. My name has been Mark Steiner, and I'll see you next time.